This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's the Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. Absolutely gorgeous day, sun shining. Um, got a couple of things I want to mention before Greg Tucker takes over and kicks me out of here. Uh, Mike Lawrence passed away, and what a great guy. I mean, he was one of those special people that um, he was gifted in so many different ways. Lost his eyesight early in life, but still maintain a, a great uh, level of living here. And uh, Ben Cates, uh, as everyone knows, he passed away uh, not far away from today's date. And anyway, uh, July the 18th, they're inviting all of his players and all of his coaches to be at Oakland at 2 o'clock. It's going to be from 2 to 4 p.m., and that's going to be at the Oakland uh, High School Gym. So remember that all the players and all the former coaches with him that's are Sunday. invited. Sunday the 18th. Is it on a Sunday? Okay. Um, Brian Barrett sent me that yesterday, and uh, I am so glad they're continuing to honor one of uh, the best people that ever walked on the ground here in Rutherford County. Good morning, Greg Tucker. Well, good morning, Truman. How are you? I'm good. We uh, didn't see the sun this morning out at the farm, but uh, we're getting some good rain. Ground's gotten a little bit dry, so a stretch of rain's good for us. How in the world did it get dry? It's been raining at my house, seems like, for the last two months. Uh, it may seem that way, but we got a little worried about things drying out. And yesterday, my wife asked me to dig a hole so she could plant something. I went out, a lot of confidence and a shovel. Oh. And about three inches down, the ground was just as dry and hard as, you, as you'd ever find it. Uh, fortunately, it was a small plant. Was it as dry as my wit is? Your wit? Mm-hmm. W-I-T. W-I-T. No, nothing could be that dry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't understand why a lot of the things that people laugh at, I have no interest or any amusement whatsoever. What is it? Well, before we get to <laughs> silly... <laughs> Discussions. We're already there. Yeah, well, no, I want to back up because I asked the uh, audience last week for help in some uh, research that I had not been successful in for, oh, my goodness, almost 50 years. Oh, my. Yeah, I had a real good close friend back in the 60s. We were Boy Scouts together. Mm -hmm. He was a year older than me, William Bonham. He uh, was raised over on Jones Boulevard, and in 1966, he joined the Marines. He was a year ahead of, uh, of me getting out of school. Mm -hmm. uh, he joined the Marines, and in the summer of 67, I got a letter from him, and uh, he was the most enthusiastic uh, Marine recruit, I think, uh, I had ever come across at that point. He was very, very proud of his uh, success in the basic training mm -hmm. and actually was looking forward to, to the next assignment. He told me in the letter that he expected in the early part of the next year. Yeah, this would have been, uh, he wrote to me in June or July of 67 
that uh, by January or so he expected to be overseas. And of course, things going on back then were all in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. And he disappeared. I didn't get any more correspondence from him. And uh, years later, while we were based in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, I made a point of going to the uh, Vietnam Monument, what we call the wall, yeah. and went through there carefully. And his name wasn't on it because we had just kind of assumed that, well, he didn't survive uh, the trip to Vietnam. Uh, a couple of days ago, I got an email from Carol Hughes, an exceptional lady uh, when it comes to research uh, over at the Historic Society. And she said in the email, quite simply, is this your friend, Bonham? And she sent me a copy of an obituary. Oh. Yeah. And uh, Corporal William H. Bonham, age 22, 1908 Jones Boulevard, was killed Saturday in an auto truck accident in Texas. And this is a clipping dated... December 19th, 1967. And back in those days, I appreciate that obituaries told you a little bit about yeah. the cause of death, the reason for yeah. death. You don't see that as much now, but this one added. Corporal Bonham was en route to Murfreesboro at the time of the accident. He was coming home to spend the Christmas holidays before being sent to Vietnam for active duty. He was stationed at the Marine School Division in San Diego, California. Bless his heart. He was driving across country, maybe with others, and I didn't didn't make it. And uh, I, I also she sent me a copy of his uh, cemetery marker, uh, Lance Corporal, U.S. Marine Corps, December 16th, 1967, date of death. Uh, I'm going to a small reunion early in August of. Uh, fellows we worked with in the scouting program back in the 60s and I'll share this with them because every time we've gotten together in the past we always said did anybody ever find out what happened to Bill and uh, I wonder how it wasn't uh, relayed to here uh, as far as his obituary well that's the clipping the clipping is out of the local newspaper. Oh, here? Yeah, here. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, we just over... Well, in December 67, none of us were still in the area. We were all off at school or other things. Mm-hmm. And it probably was uh, just an obituary, not a news story. Uh, but, yeah, I'm sorry we didn't get it then. And uh, if I had had any clue that that's what happened, because we just assumed that he had gotten overseas. Yeah. And you can tell from the report here that he was on his way. Uh, in fact, was coming home on leave before heading directly overseas. So, anyway, um, Carol, I appreciate your finding it and sending it to me, and I will definitely share it with about a dozen other close friends of, of Bill. Bill was uh, an incredible athlete. Uh, his strength was impressive, and I think that's part of the reason that he was so proud of his performance in basic training. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned last time, uh, he didn't work on the aquatic program, but if I had a problem in the dock or under the dock or on the bottom, something dropped in, I'd call him because he could hold his breath for, it seemed like, three or four minutes. Uh-huh. He would disappear into the water to clear the bottom. It would be down so long that you'd begin to get worried. And then he'd come back up and uh, enjoyed showing off a little bit. There's some people who just are, are born with certain qualities that the rest of us can d- not do anything but admire. Well, let me share one other Bill Bonham story because it shows another side of him. Um, I noticed the d- lights on in the dining hall one evening rather late. I went up there, and Bill was in the kitchen area. Now, part of his job involved driving a truck. He drove mm-hmm. the truck that ran between the camps. And uh, in the dark, hitting somewhere in the truck on one of the camp roads, he had run over a mama possum. And he got out of the truck and found that the mama possum had been carrying eight or ten little possums, babies 
if you've ever seen that, they hang on Mama's back mm-hmm. when she when she moves with them. And she was she was dead, uh, but the little ones uh, there must have been as many as a dozen almost. And Bill had gathered up all the little ones and brought them to the dining hall and sorted out those that were, looked like they'd be viable. And he was with an eyedropper feeding them. And I said, Bill, it was the last week that we were working up there. I said, Bill, what are you going to do with them? And he says, well, I guess I'll take them home. Well, he took them home. And the next year we were working together again. It was probably 64 or 65 that the accident happened. I saw him a year later, and I said, Bill, whatever happened to those little ones? He says, well, I took them home, and uh, uh, they all grew up and got to be a mature size. I said, what would you do with them? He says, well, I, I drove back up here, and I went to the place where I ran over the mama, and I turned them loose. Oh. <laughs> I thought, big, rough guy with a real gentle heart for, for the animals. Did he have any persimmon trees around where he lived? I'm not sure what he fed them, <laughs> but uh, that would have been appropriate. We have a grape harbor, and uh, some years ago, I think we decided just let the possum have them because my wife spotted a possum with some little ones up in the grape harbor enjoying our grapes. So, Mitriette loves possums because I know I was at y'all's house for dinner or something one day, and she was telling me, and, you know, possums are not one of the more beloved animals here in this area. no. And uh, their their high casualty rate on the streets and highways too. Yeah, they're like a magnet to a car. Yeah, you remember the joke? Why did the chicken cross the road? Uh, is this one of those? Uh, uh, we're on t- Looney Tunes jokes. No, we're on we're on subject. Okay, go ahead. The chicken crossed the road to show the possum it could be done. Ah. <laughs> Well, I th- I, you notice I still have that bad sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's on your mind this morning? Well, it's been kind of a long weekend for me because losing my Aunt Mary, uh, she was the one that introduced um, me to J. Edgar Hoover many, many years ago. I was nine. My brother and I, Mike and I were trying to remember when we went up to visit her in Washington when she was working with the Bureau there. And she worked directly with him, and she just had such a a fondness for him that whenever someone would say something negative about J. Edgar Hoover, oh, that brought uh, anger right quick because she just absolutely loved that guy and what he did for the Bureau all that time. And she was a very uh, staunch uh, conservative, and I think a lot of it is working with the Bureau all those many years that she did. Well, I remember the J. Edgar Hoover years uh, that overlapped with us, and uh, every time there was a new president uh, back in those days, the first appointment they'd make is to reappoint J. Edgar to head the FBI. And uh, uh, some people today are kind of negative about it. That's because he had something on all of them. But I think they all appreciated that the FBI back then was just a superb organization yeah. in terms of what it was supposed to be doing for us. If he was still here, uh, we wouldn't have had a lot of the problems that we've had in the last 10 years. I think that's true. The uh, the pristine reputation of the FBI has been tarnished by some of the incidents that have that have occurred. Yeah, uh, silly stuff. Uh, you know, college fraternity kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, hopefully things will turn around. It 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 it's kind of uh, amazing how the media will attack people so strongly after they're gone. Yeah. You hardly ever saw anything brought up about him during the days that he was still the bureau head, and um, it, it, it's um, it kind of worries me a lot of bit uh, about our our young people today, and they're listening to so many negative things that probably have very little truth to them. 
And you wonder who who are the heroes today? Yeah, I mean, who do we hold up as a hero to be, uh, you know, revered and uh, taken as a role model? Uh, you know, we all, I guess, have our special interest, and we might cite someone that supports that special interest. But the universal uh, heroes of our of our culture. Yeah. Uh, are uh, many of them, most of them, under attack. Uh, it's hard to understand. But uh, I was doing some reading the other day and came across something I thought interesting and amusing. Uh, I didn't know that uh, both sides in the war between the states had camels in their ranks. And I was reading one kind of touching story. I didn't story. know they had cigarettes back in that day like that. Oh, yeah. And the camels were by far the most popular. <laughs> uh, reading on, uh, they were brought in, and uh, they were not mounts. They were used for, uh, uh, what do you call them, supply animals, mm -hmm. uh, uh, pack animals. And uh, they found that they could carry considerably more than a mule or a horse. They found that they could go forever uh, in terms of fatigue and, and rest. And, of course, they didn't need a drink, but occasionally. Yeah. And uh, they were brought in through Texas, Louisiana. and uh, But there were some problems. One of the real big problems was when the camel uh, was brought into the uh, contention, the horses and the mules would react and uh, in fact there was actually uh, in what I was reading one report of a, a horse getting loose dragging a board or something and uh, one of the soldiers was killed trying to calm the horse mm. the camels were calm in fact you got the impression they didn't see or care about anything uh, they would uh, they were easy to load because with the uh, proper training and signal, they would get down on their knees and just sit there until they were loaded. Mm -hmm. uh, but they would scare the other animals and panic the other, yeah, yeah panic the other animals. Uh, and they also did not smell good. They had a very strong smell about them. And they had a uh, defensive habit. They spit. And for that reason, they weren't all that popular, but there was one with a Mississippi contingent that uh, they even nicknamed him uh, Old Douglas. And, uh, he Old had, Douglas? Douglas. Huh? I, I don't know why Douglas, but that was his name. And if you go down, he, he was involved in the uh, siege of Vicksburg. Mm -hmm. And if you're ever in Vicksburg, go to the little old city cemetery, and you'll find a stone marker for Old Douglas. And it's got a engraving of a camel on it. And... Uh, he died in uh, at the. Uh, he got shot. He was shot by a Union soldier hmm. uh, in connection with the Vicksburg siege. And uh, there's one suggestion that he's not in the grave, although it looks like a grave marker that they ate him uh, as a, kind of his last service. Uh, they used the camel meat to feed the the troops. Uh, now, the South ate the camel? Yeah. yeah. After the they, Federals shot him? Yeah, they recovered the, the body. Uh, I don't know whether there's... I don't know whether that could be proved or not, but in one article, that was the speculation. Did he taste like chicken? Tastes like camel. Oh. <laughs> or something that, that smelled that bad. I don't know yeah, if I would I want to... I don't know how they handled the smell of the cooking, if that's what... How happened. did they get them over here? They were boated, boated over, and in fact, Douglas was part of a load that uh, the ship had uh, wrecked, uh, and uh, most of the animals, there was about a dozen of them on the ship, were injured or killed, mm -hmm. but Douglas survived that and uh, uh, went to work. I do know when we lived out in Arizona, there were stories from time to time about the camels in the desert. This was in the early 50s. Mm -hmm that there was still some feral animals loose in the desert because the cavalry, the U.S. cavalry in the southwest, uh, several years, a decade or so after the war, 
also experimented with using camels. Uh, whether they ever got into Rutherford County, I, I have no evidence. But uh, anyway. Where do you find that stuff? <laughs> Uh, and worse yet, I remember most of it. So you be careful. We'll share it again. You know, that was one of the things that uh, animals like that. Most of them, like like a llama, a llama will spit at you. Yeah, I've heard a anything to. Uh, yeah. we've, we've got several people keeping llamas or alpaca, or whatever the specifics yeah. are, in the county now. In fact, out near where your aunt's property was, I see several uh, on the Woodbury Pike. Mm -hmm. Aunt Nancy's place? Yeah, a yeah. fellow along there has got some. And Big Springs, over in Big Springs, out uh, near Donald's Chapel, there's several. Uh, and I don't know, maybe you can uh, shear them and use the wool, but I think they're just pets. Yeah, I know that uh, Southeast Baptist... Um, Whenever Christmas time would come, they would utilize llamas uh, to be kind of like camels would be. Yeah. And, and when they would do uh, uh, the story of Jesus and things like that, it would. It was. Um, that's when I first knew that llamas would spit because, unfortunately, I was getting one out of the uh, um, the stable car. And he decided he didn't like me very much. A, a unique way of defending himself. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. I do know that 96 years ago there was an activity going on in Rutherford County. Uh, in fact, uh, almost everybody in Rutherford County was, was very much interested. And uh, that would have been 1925. And uh, people were gathered around the, the community radio you know, every community in Rutherford County is probably true all over the country. There'd be someone who was the first to get a radio yeah. in the 20s. And if there was something on the radio that had a wide appeal, the neighborhood would gather at the radio in the community. So I imagine that a lot of the communities in 1925, they were gathering at the community radio, whoever, whoever had it. There was a competition, I guess would be a nice way to say it, going on. And uh, I suspected most people in Rutherford County were pulling for a particular side of the competition. But it was it was quite a quite a show at the time. Uh, and uh, uh, an emotional uh, uh, favor for a particular side of that competition. You know what I'm talking about? I don't have a clue. You don't have a clue? No. Well, a couple of uh, very prominent national figures were squaring off. Oh, boxing. Huh? Boxing. No, not boxing. Oh, I thought it might be. A, a good guess, though. Jack yeah. Johnson was yeah. still around then. Yeah. Uh, no, this one was more of an emotional uh, uh, interest and uh, also just a, a good show. I'm talking about uh, a, a community just over the hill from us in Ray County. I know Ray County, hey, but yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you know the county seat of Ray County, Dayton, Tennessee. Oh, you're talking about uh, the the uh, one where um, a teacher was was uh, not exactly going along with the Bible. And uh, the two that most powerful attorneys in the world at that time. Very close. They sparred off at each other. Well, many of us, when we first learned about it, uh, put in the context of you know legal activity and mm -hmm. uh, things that happened. Actually, the whole thing was a staged show. And uh, well, of course, Hollywood got a hold of it. Well, even before that. In fact, uh, here's a name that. You don't see often, but uh, J.W. Butler, Tennessee farmer, but in the 1920s, he was head of the, I have to look at my notes here, the World Christian Fundamentalist Association. Mm -hmm. And he lobbied the Tennessee legislature back in the, early, in the early 1920s to pass a law 
outlawing the teaching of evolution. Mm -hmm. Darwin's theory, which had just become into prominence in the guess, decade. Guess who was the one who came out the hardest against that theory? Who was the one? Who fought that theory after it w became prominent? Darwin did. Oh, Darwin came out and said that what he was saying was not accurate. Yeah, I'm sure it got twisted as, yeah. as things do. Well, Butler lobbied the legislature, and his influence was uh, that the rural vote, which dominated the legislature in Tennessee then, was very much sympathetic to the position he was advocating. Yeah. So in uh, March of 1925, uh, Governor Austin P signed the legislation that had come through the General Assembly. Uh, apparently, Governor P. was a little uneasy about it because he uh, said at a later time that at the time he signed it, making it a law in Tennessee, he believed that it would never be enforced yeah. and th therefore would not ever interfere with education in Tennessee. I think he was rationalizing at that point uh, yeah. after, after what went on. Well. The, one of your favorite organizations today, the American Civil Liberties Union. Thank you very much. Yeah, back in, as soon as the law was passed, offered to fund a, a challenge to the law if someone would step forward and, uh, you know, challenge it. In other words, commit the crime, because it was a criminal law. And with criminal Can you hear penalty. that music going on? They want to take a break in the midst of I the think, monkey I trial. I think they were wanting to. All right, give them a break and we'll uh, get back to it. All right, it. we'll be right back with you. Healthy Tennessee, a nonprofit organization founded by Vanderbilt orthopedic trauma surgeon Dr. Manny Sethi, is hosting a free health fair this Saturday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Patterson Park Community Center, 521 Mercury Boulevard. Feed America First will also be on hand to provide free food distribution, and local health-focused companies and organizations will provide vendor booths at the fair. The free Healthy Tennessee Health Fair and Food Distribution Saturday at Patterson Park Community Center, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. How are you feeling today? More than an empty question, it's a real reminder to reach out to coworkers, friends, family, and neighbors. Remind them to get the care they need. Someone you know may be delaying important emergency care, chronic care, or emotional care. At Ascension St. Thomas, appointments are available now with strict precautions in place for your safety and our care. Ask about virtual visits. ERs at Ascension St. Thomas Hospitals are open 24-7. Get the care you need at getsthealthcare.com. Now, an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. 15-year-old Skylar Potter of Bradyville, who was reported missing Thursday, was found early Saturday in North Carolina after an investigation by sheriff's detectives and Homeland Security. Detectives found a connection between 22-year-old Jake Anderson of North Carolina, who's accused of picking up Potter and taking her to his home. Charges are pending against Anderson. Potter returned to Tennessee. Advent Lutheran Church announced plans for an upcoming service for the installation of Pastor Michelle Kuhlman as their new lead pastor. Special service will take place Sunday, July 25th. Kuhlman comes to her new call at Advent Lutheran Church after serving most recently as interim associate pastor at St. Andrew's Lutheran Church in Franklin. Prior to that, she served for 15 years as the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Carrollton, Georgia. Tennessee's new bathroom sign law being temporarily blocked by a federal judge. The law requires business and government facilities open to the public to post a sign if they let transgender people use multi-person bathrooms associated with their gender identity. The law was blocked late last week after two Tennessee business owners filed lawsuits claiming it violates First Amendment rights. The law went into effect July 1st after the governor signed it in May. Some crew members of that cruise ship headed to Nashville from Memphis and now stuck on a sandbar in Kentucky Lake are abandoning ship. They were expected to disembark yesterday while others remain on board the American Jazz. American Cruise Line says the ship remains completely safe with all onboard systems operating. Crews assessing now how to get the ship off the sandbar. News on demand 24-7 at WGNSRadio.com. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. 
Congratulations, you've retired. You might not be going into the office anymore, but you're finding that between the cleaning, the laundry, the lawn care, all of your home maintenance chores, you're still putting in a day's work every day. By moving to Adams Place Independent Living, the staff takes care of all that for you. Go to adamsplace.org to learn more or find us on Facebook, Adams Place. Del Wamsley here. The first thing you're going to have to learn is until you stop expecting the politicians or anyone else to change your life, your life isn't going to change. The only person who can change your life is you, but you need to know how. Turn off the pundits and turn on the passive income. Tune in to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Listen to my show, the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. Catch the Del Wamsley Radio Show Monday through Saturday, 11 to noon, here on News Radio WGNS. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. You scattered showers and thunderstorms possible late this afternoon with mostly cloudy skies, high in the low 80s. Southwest winds at 10 to 15 miles per hour, gusting as high as 20. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 73. Premier Six Theater on Broad and Jackson Heights, showing all of your favorite movies. Call their hotline, 896-4100, or go seeamovie.com. Popcorn Pop Fresh Daily, their movie hotline, 896-4100, or go seeamovie.com. Premier Six on Broad and Jackson Heights. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Wait for your big. Welcome back with Greg Tucker, the great storyteller. I'm sitting here just waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were saying the ACLU offered to finance a test case that did pay the expenses if they could recruit somebody. They've been around that long. Yeah, oh yeah, they go way back. And uh, the manager of what I think was the by far the largest employer in that area back in those days, mm-hmm. the Cumberland Coal and Iron Company. The manager, I forget his name, but the manager at that time of the, of the company uh, saw opportunity apparently, and he he uh, initiated a luncheon meeting on the square, a little restaurant, uh, and brought in the county executives and the school personnel and managed to per- persuade everybody, or at least a majority of them, that this would be good for Dayton, could put Dayton on the map, bring business and interest in a focus on Dayton, Tennessee. And uh, uh, also, he had an underlying motive, uh, some speculate, that uh, he felt like the case would decide the fate of the law, because if the prosecution prevailed, then they couldn't ignore the law. They would have to enforce it, and vice versa. Uh, Interesting, uh, the superintendent of county schools bought into the idea. Mm -hmm. His name is very familiar, Walter White. I think he's involved with the Historic Society. Uh, no, that he'd be too old for that. Uh, anyway, Walter White, the superintendent of county schools, says, okay, but we've got to find somebody to be a plaintiff. Well, they talked around the teachers in the county, and finally a 25-year-old high school teacher, I think in his second year of teaching there, named John T. Scopes, Mm-hmm. agreed to do it for the sake of the community, and he thought it, they probably thought it would advance his career some, too. Boy, that's uh, not like Inherit the Wind. <clears throat> no, different it's a long story. way away from it. But he had a problem, uh, and he told him candidly, he says, well, I don't think I've ever really taught evolution. Mm-hmm. And they explained that, no, you've got to say that you taught it and... and you know, be the be the plaintiff, and he says, "Well, the textbook that we use has a section on evolution, but I don't know that I've ever taught that." And problem was, the textbook was mandated by the state education authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in any event, 
That was the only real connection he could make. But he agreed to be the plaintiff, and he even went further. He identified three students, and he persuaded the three students to be witnesses to his teaching it. So they would get into court and say, yes, I remember when uh, the teacher did that. Uh, the real interest, though, for example, the Baltimore Sun saw that this could be a big story, and they agreed to put up money to help fund the defense mm -hmm. along with the ACLU, or maybe they put money on both sides, and they assigned a, a reporter to cover hour-to-hour, day-to-day, uh, everything that happened. Uh, the prosecution started off with two local attorneys as criminal prosecution, just like anything else, two local attorneys. Uh, but the Christian Association that had lobbied for the uh, passage of the law uh, was a little uneasy, so they hired a fellow named Tom Stewart, uh, I think out of Nashville or Chattanooga. Later, he was a U.S. senator, but he was very prominent in the state at the time. Uh, but then his, his real name was Gene Kelly. He probably was. <laughs> uh, the Christian Association, though, still uneasy that uh, they might be overshadowed by the ACLU. They persuaded a three-time loser for the presidential election, a former Secretary of State, and we all remember that name, William Jennings Bryan, yeah. silver-tongued orator. Yeah, uh, and uh, put him into it. Well, the ACLU knew they had to counter with uh, uh, equal weight, so they approached Clarence Darrow, and of the name we all know, a Chicago lawyer. Mm -hmm. Darrow said no. He says, if I get in there, it's going to turn into a circus. Yeah. And the ACLU contact said it's going to be a circus even if you don't get in. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we need your participation. Uh with that kind of lineup, you can expect there would be publicity. In fact, the records I was looking at show that somewhere in the nature of 200 reporters were there every day. It began on July 10th. It finally ended on July 21st. So for 11 days, Dayton was host to some 200 reporters plus uh, 22 telegraphers, which is how they were getting the story out, yeah. using the telegraph. Uh, and then there was one entrepreneur that saw uh, opportunity there, and he brought in a handful of trained chimpanzees and set up in the yard out around the courthouse with the that chimpanzees. That was appropriate. Yeah, I forget whether that's in the movie or not. But no. uh, he was selling souvenirs. The chimpanzees were greeting their aunts and uncles. <laughs> <laughs> nephews and nieces as they came in. Thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, one thing I hadn't heard before, Chicago Clear Channel Radio. Yep. We still... That still, was in the movie. Yeah, WLS, I guess it was, uh, set up and broadcast live or uh, repeats, and that's where I know all the Rutherford County people were interested in, in listening. Uh, turned into a social event all over the, the country as well, and even... Uh, if you look at the roster of reporters and all that were there, there were quite a number from Europe as well, following it closely. Uh, there was at least one uh, movie camera there uh, because they set up a temporary airstrip so they could ship out daily the film shot that day. And I guess they were making movie reels or something out of it for, uh, for the interest. Uh, so what actually happened, we all know the outcome. Uh, it went on for, well, on the 10th, they selected the jury, 12 local people from Ray County. Mm -hmm. uh, in the early part of the trial, Darrow started trying to uh, get uh, his evidence uh, admitted. And the judge refused to let Darrow use the Bible because mm -hmm. his attitude, his position, I think it was correct. When I first read that, I thought, boy, he's been awfully hard on him. But it's correct. The question was whether Scopes had done something, not what was the Bible teaching. So he wouldn't let Darrow use the Bible. Uh, Darrow had lined up 
a number of expert witnesses on evolution yeah. and, and such as that. The judge says, no, basically the same reason. We're not here to decide the scientific, you know, it's questions whether this fellow is guilty or not. Uh, but Darrow, uh, in his opening argument or at some point, made just a uh, patriotic-themed, uh, uh, positive, religious, surprised everybody opening statement, uh, which when he concluded, the pandemonium bedlam broke out, uh, cheering and swearing, mm -hmm. uh, because part of the crowd was very much offended by it, and part of the crowd, probably a much smaller part, uh, was taken by it. So there's a lot of commotion. And Brian apparently didn't want to be upstaged, but also given the judge's rulings, Brian was constrained as to what he could do. So Daryl and I wonder if they didn't get together one night somewhere over a drink and decide this strategy. But Daryl called Brian as a witness. <coughs> An extraordinary move because, I mean, today the idea of calling the lawyer on the other side as your witness is, uh, even if it's a hostile, you just can't do that. I mean, that's not a tactic. In the prevented. movie, he volunteered. Yeah. Uh, well, in the readings I've I've done on it, uh, he had reason because ego, mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't going to get his chance, but here was a way to do it. So Daryl called him as a witness, and some of the best uh, are uh, clearly the best of the of the trial was the exchange between the two of them. Uh, the uh, scopes was eventually. Let's see. They submitted it to the jury on uh, the 21st, and the jury was sequestered mm -hmm. to decide beyond a reasonable doubt unanimously uh, which way it should go. And uh, they left, and how long do you think it took them? In just a, a very short time. Very short time. Yeah. It was timed by the reporters, nine minutes. Yeah. They deliberated and came back and pronounced uh, Scopes guilty of violating the anti-evolution teaching law in Tennessee. Uh, and the judge uh, quickly uh, assessed a fine of $100. Uh, I checked to see $100 back then is something in the range of 1500 to 2000 in today's money. So probably a fairly substantial burden on Scopes. But uh, he had been, that part of the deal was he had no expenses. So mm -hmm. uh, the fine was, was paid uh, pending appeal. And also back up uh, when he was first accused and arrested. He never went to jail or anything because they quickly paid bond before he even was taken, taken in. Mm -hmm. So uh, he lost nothing except perhaps the effect on his reputation. Uh, it was appealed, and on the appeal, the uh, defense lodged five what we call legal questions, legal issues, including the excluding of evidence and such as that. Got to the Tennessee Supreme Court. Tennessee Supreme Court denied all of these legal, legalistic arguments, mm -hmm. but came down to the question of the fine. It turned out that uh, in Tennessee, at that time, any fine, the judge could not on his own assess a fine in excess of $50. Mm -hmm. And the judge had assessed $100, which was in the statute. Uh, that should have gone to the jury, and the jury should have been the one to determine the appropriate fine mm -hmm. or penalty. But I can see the judge, once he had that verdict, he's trying to wind things up get out of there probably uh, and that was uh, the technicality on which it was uh, the conviction was overturned uh, but the Tennessee Supreme Court made one other finding which was rather extraordinary usually when a, a judgment is vacated on a technicality like that you retry it or at least the prosecutor has the option of retrying the case mm -hmm. to avoid the, the uh, error uh, the Supreme Court said no, that uh, this had been heard and seen and done enough, and uh, they ordered that there be no retrial. So 
that's the way it ended. You know, the, the thing that got me about the movie Inherit the Wind was they tried to make it look like Tennessee and the small rural counties was very backward and their support of religion had uh, gone pretty much down to a control level all the way through their lives. And I was very upset about that. And, and that's typical Hollywood because th they utilize it to paint a, uh, a way of life that they could demean uh, certain people during during that time. Well, a number of commentators and even some modern uh, writings on it have noted that the only real lasting effect of the trial and all the publicity that was incident to the trial was that uh, many people were prompted to ridicule religious opposition to the theory of evolution. Yes. And Hollywood stepped into that, I think. Uh, and also, it uh, more or less achieved the opposite. Uh, more or less achieved what the governor had said, and that is, they just didn't enforce it. it. Was still on the books for quite a long time. I think it's off the books now, but it was still on the books for a long time. But none would would step up to enforce it, prosecutors or anything, which was what uh, what had been expected. Well, the thing that bothered me the most, if you look into the real history and what you've done, is Darwin didn't even believe his own theory. And it was it was proven later on uh, when he was interviewed, and he said that he believed in what the Bible taught and, and, and really did not follow his own. But he was just trying to set, to do a study to see if, if that was a possibility. So, well, it's interesting that it was so such a dominant thing in the news that uh, we can safely say the folks up here in Rutherford County were following it very closely. We have been invaded. We have a guest. Did you look over there to your right? Who is that? Uh, I thought they I thought they had uh, rules here at Adams Place. You mean they? You mean just no? Everybody can just walk in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's been here before, Mike. Hey, Wall Mike. Mike Waller's in the room with us. You got something to tell us or share? Come over here and sit down. And put on a microphone. I so we. Can... Mike Darwin Waller. Yeah. Something has evolved. <laughs> Good morning, Mike. I haven't seen you in a while. Have a seat. I hope you're here to say something about uh, the dam. I can. Yeah, I'd, uh, I've uh, learned a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, the American Society of Historic Preservation mm -hmm. in, in Washington uh, has just, I guess, rendered a decision or taken the opinion that uh, the dam is of historic significance. Mm -hmm. I mean, they agree with the National Historic Register, uh, the state, and Greg Tucker, uh, based upon all of that. But at the same time, they say it's a local issue. They're not going to get involved. So from what I understand in talking with the Corps of Engineers, they are preparing a letter to go out to all interested parties for their comments and ultimately a memorandum of understanding will be negotiated I guess is the right term uh, between five entities uh, they have also and I feel real good about this they have recognized the ownership of the dam mm -hmm. uh, if you remember that's been an issue all along about uh, who owned the dam? How could a third party take control and destroy something that they didn't even own without the permission of the owners? So I think we've got that resolved that, you know, the dam is literally owned by the trustees, or really the state of Tennessee, and it 
overseen by the trustees of the Sam Davis Memorial mm -hmm. and the Rutherford County School Board. So the five parties, as I understand it, that are the players, if you will, are those two entities, the Sam Davis trustees and the school board, the Cumberland River Compact, which is the one that are selling the mitigation credits, receiving the compensation, uh, the Corps of Engineers, and the State Department of Environment and Conservation. The, ultimately, the State Department of Environment and Conservation is the approval authority mm -hmm. um, for whatever they decide to do. So they're, they're developing a letter. Uh, they've been trying to get it out for the last month, really three weeks. Uh, they hope to have it out this week to all interested parties for their comments. And I'm not sure who will actually orchestrate the memorandum of understanding. So uh, back months ago, I remember Mr. Tucker drafted a, uh, a letter to, to the school board and the Sam Davis Memorial with a number of different considerations mm -hmm. that they should they should consider. Uh, you know, first and foremost is you need to be compensated uh, on the front end. Yeah. Uh, if they're going to remove this this uh, piece of history, uh, one thing that I think the last time I was here, I just found out that uh, the Cumberland River Compact had proposed a historical marker, if you will. Is that correct, Greg? I forget who originally proposed it. But they were proposing to, in the vicinity of where the, the, the dam stands, uh, put some type of historical marker uh, giving credit to uh, when it was built, who built it, mm -hmm. uh, which, by the way, was a local local citizen. So I, I, I feel good about where we are. Uh, I, I, what about the mitigation part? The money. Yeah. Well, the money's in the bank. <clears throat> or at least we know two of the entities. We've got copies of their checks. The receivers, though. Who will be receiving that mitigation or the money? Uh, which group? Well, How will it be? It's always been uh, payments to the compact, the Cumberland River Compact, from the developers, the Department of Transportation, or whoever is going to buy the credits. Uh, just briefly, the credits confuse everybody, but if you remove something which uh, the uh, proper authorities say enhances the environment, you can earn credits, and then you can sell those credits to somebody who's going to do something that the authorities say is a damage to the environment. So that's where it all gets fuzzy. Uh, but the money that we've seen move, the checks, were made out to the Cumberland River Compact. And uh, I remember one check was almost $200,000. Right. And uh, it's a, I believe it was the development uh, along Interstate 24 as you go into Nashville. Yes, it was a big, big yes, commercial sir. resident mixed development there. And uh, the fellow in charge, I think his attitude was kind of like, given the amount of money we're investing, 200000 we're not going to argue. We just pay it and move on. I am not understanding that whatsoever, that decision. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense as far as uh, wh where does um, the Sam Davis home come into the picture as far because they're the ones that are uh, um, being pretty much stepped on, in my opinion. Well, the original proposal was for the Cumberland River Compact to destroy the dam, stabilize the creek bank, and manage it for a period of, I think, seven years. And this included almost six acres of land along the creek. Mm -hmm. Now, as I interpret it, uh, it is open for discussion. Uh, and it's open for negotiation as to how the money is dispersed and when it's dispersed and who it goes to. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that there's a lot of money there. Yeah. Uh, In the range of a million and a half dollars is the value of the credits that'll be involved. That's based on the information we got from the Cumberland River That's Compact. That's correct. And if I remember correctly, one one of Greg's, well, he had a number of points he made to each of these entities, but uh, one is you need a accounting, a, a periodic uh, update on how the funds are being spent, mm-hmm. what it's going for, uh, and also that uh, funds should come on the front end to both entities. You know, mm-hmm. of course, when, when you've got a, a school board that's elected by the population of the county and relying on tax revenue, you know, 100% for their day-to-day operations, you know, that, that becomes very significant. And then you've got the, the Sam Davis Memorial Association that require that, that uh, depends on donations and open houses and things like that. Uh, you know, getting the money on the front end and knowing what you've got, in my opinion, is very important. Of course, another option is to do nothing. You know, and I've heard those discussions. Well enough alone, don't do anything. Well, uh, what you've accomplished is at worst, if the dam disappears, there will be information on site uh, that uh, preserves the history, at least to some extent. And I think that also uh, would involve a photographic documentation of the the dam and how it was built and what's involved in it. Uh, So you've you've accomplished that, because I think that'll be part of whatever is done uh, or uh, you know it stays gets stabilized that's what uh, bothers me I don't know of any analysis of what it would take to uh, renovate and stabilize and uh, you know keep it as part of and I think even uh, there's been talk among some Smyrna leadership that uh, that could be done largely with volunteer uh, right help if uh, this decision was made to maintain the historic uh, property there. How much damage, if the dam was just taken away, why would it need a whole lot of uh, uh, supervision to control that water? Because that water is not much unlike a lot of the streams that just go completely dry all the way across the county, why would it need that much management as they're asking for? I can't speak to that. I, I can't either. But, you know, just looking at the, at the terrain and the creek bank, it's it's not like the the agricultural fields go right up to the creek bank. There's mm-hmm. quite a quite a wide buffer on both sides of the of the stream as it appears of uh, growth and vegetation. Yeah. And and solid rock. On the Sam Davis side, uh, adjacent to the dam, it's, it's solid rock wall. Yeah. I mean, it's great and huge boulders. I mean, it's 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 nothing to maintain, uh, and it, it's certainly uh, couldn't they couldn't the, the Corps of Engineers? Uh, I'm sure they have already done a study on it. I, I would think they have they have done studies. Now I can't. Uh, I've talked to them about them ultimately, you know, if we decide to try to preserve it, they will be the deciding factor. Their expertise will say, all right, we need to we need to do this and this mm-hmm. uh, to stabilize it. Uh, and I, I know they're quite thorough in what they do. Yes, and, they are. And they don't do it halfway. They're going to make yeah. sure it's done correctly. So, but to answer your question, no, I don't think, I, I'm not aware that uh, They've gone that far as to to come up with a a blueprint, if you will, or a plan. Yeah. Well, you guys have done a great job. I'll say that. I mean, you have brought it to the attention of the people in 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 Rutherford County and in Smyrna in particular, and it, it's one of the the great historical uh, uh, places in, in the state of Tennessee, and it doesn't need to be. 
uh, taken advantage of, and neither do the the, the Rutherford County school system sure. well, need you. to be taken advantage of. And you you guys have, uh, I, I guess, done something that nobody else could have maybe even pulled off, and it's a lot of, of a lot of sweat and a lot of brain power went into it. And uh, and and but number one was the love of the community and love of the history sure. here in in the state of Tennessee. Sure. So that was. That was special. Well, thank you. It's certainly been a, a educational experience for myself. You know, when it first came up, and they and they put the sign up and said talking about mitigation credits. I mean, I didn't have a clue what a mitigation credit was, and uh, met with a lot of people, and, and it's, so it's been a lot. It's been an education for a lot of us to to learn uh, the different angles and maneuvers to to get us to where we are today but i, I feel good about uh, you know the position uh, the people in washington have taken leaving it up to the local people yeah and uh, i i'm sure the right thing's going to be done but when you say leave it up to the local people it kind of still got a big question mark there is uh who's go who's going to take the lead into making sure things are done correctly well, I, I can't answer that. Uh, right now, the, the Corps of Engineers seems to be taking the lead, Greg. Oh, well, from what you've shown me, they seem to be the ones who got the ultimate trigger. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, federal jurisdiction over a uh, stream like that. Yeah. And they wouldn't really have anything to gain out of it other than making sure everything was done correctly, sure. I would think. Uh, but it, it, it seems like that um, with what you guys have done, maybe the mitigation type situation needs to be looked at a little bit more in which direction it's going to go and things like that. Because to me, it, it could get out of hand if it's done incorrectly, maybe um, – Maybe some people can take advantage of it, and others don't even know that it's going on. Sure. Well, I would hope one point in the future, the cash value of the mitigation credits ought to, at least in part, go to the landowner. Sure. And uh, that appeared not even to be a consideration when Mike first stumbled onto it. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, all going to a out of county and uh, no real understanding as to how they were going to use the money. Yeah. Now, the the the, uh, the Sam Davis property, that is a, um, it, it's kind of confusing <coughs> to me a little bit. It's, it's a state-type uh, situation, but yet it's a local. You have a lot of local people, uh, and like like in the city of Smyrna, they they donate money right. to the Sam Davis home, and I presume there's a lot of others that uh, uh, want to see that maintained, the, sure. hi the historical sure. part of it. Sure. Well, the the Sam Davis farm plantation was bought back in the 20s by the state of Tennessee, mm -hmm. and then they passed a a law. Uh, that's in the register of the state, and we've got copies of it, that establishes a board of trust that's appointed by the governor mm -hmm. to oversee it. And it, it also, if I remember correctly, says the state will subsidize uh, the trustees in their efforts to maintain it, but... Uh, I'm not sure, or, or they haven't done so in a long time. So you've got you've got a group of eight or ten people that are appointed by the governor. Who uh, are they all from uh, the Smyrna area? No, no. I think two of them live in Smyrna. Several in Murfreesboro. There's one in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. uh, but they meet periodically and they oversee the the goings on of the Sam Davis home. Then they have a a volunteer. Board of Directors, mm -hmm. and in simple layman's terms, it's my understanding they are the fundraisers. They plan and coordinate different activities. You know, used to uh, 
Dr. George Smith was a member, and they had barbecue, and they had barbecue contests. Mm -hmm. uh, but they rely a lot on, on donations uh, from the public and from previous members of the board or trustees that have mm -hmm. a, a interest in the, uh, it's the history of Sam Davis. So one thing I will mention in, in visiting with the Corps last week, uh, I, I did just specifically ask the question, I said, what if uh, either the school board or the board of trust does not concur with the memorandum of understanding? Mm -hmm. He says, end the conversation. He said, they have the final say. Uh, for it to move forward, they will both have to agree with each other. Uh, but if either of them chooses not to agree, in the conversation. Nothing happens. So there again, it's going to be left up to the, to the elected uh, members of the school board, the appointed trustees of the Sam Davis home to uh, determine what's the best interest of each entity going forward. How would that affect the mitigation process? Kill it. Be over with. It's interesting that the school board's involvement was not even acknowledged by the Cumberland River Compact or anybody else yes, when it first came up. There was a notice put on the gate of the Sam Davis property. The uh, school board had not even been advised that their property was at issue here. So, you know, if nothing else, we've got everybody understanding what's going on or in a position to learn what's going on. So, Do we have any idea of the Sam Davis group and, and the uh, uh, school board uh, like talking to, to Bill and, and talking it over with the uh, um, members of the, the school board? Has, has anybody kind of tweaked them a little bit and see what direction they're going to go? No, not to my knowledge. Now, I've, I've had, I've tried to keep them advised with emails when we get information, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm in the process now of, of trying to put my thoughts together and, mm -hmm. and send this latest information from the uh, from Washington. But at the same time, uh, I'm told that the Corps of Engineers is fixing to advise them, so it probably be wise for me just to sit back and. See what they're going to see do. what they're going what they're going to say and, and and not cloud the issue. I, I don't know if they're going to put a deadline. I don't know how they're going to do it. Uh, well, at least that information has cleared it a little bit more and sure. and what the next step should be. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I like that, and I appreciate what y'all done. And I believe today we're out of time. What makes you think that? <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank well, you. I appreciate it. I enjoyed listening to the Boy Scouts and <laughs> Darwin. And Did you enjoy listening to Darwin? I, I was in another business during part of it, but yes, sir. I'm I, trying to figure out which one's correct. His, 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 his statement on it or Hollywood's. Now, it's hard not to agree with Hollywood. They're, they're so accurate with everything, and they don't try to uh, uh, build up something that's not there. I would bet on Greg Tucker's first. Me too. <laughs> All right, guys. We're gone, aren't we? We are. All right. We'll see you later. Thank you. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, is The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.